PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. This podcast is sponsored by Zelvagen. Make your patients smile. Put our pain drops to the test. Contact us for samples and to learn about wholesale pricing. For more information, visit www.xelvagen.com or call 888-390-8838. Welcome to PTJ's The Bottom Line for June 2011. I'm Donovan Stutel, along with Dave Corvoisier. Bottom Lines translate the findings of selected research articles for clinical practice. Bottom Lines are not intended to substitute for a critical reading of the original articles. These bottom lines were written by the authors of their respective articles. Our first bottom line summarizes Effects of Virtual Reality Augmented Balance Training on Sensory Organization and Attentional Demand for Postural Control in People with Parkinson's Disease, a Randomized Controlled Trial by Chen Yi Yen, Dr. Quan Hua Lin, Dr. Min Xie Hu, Dr. Rui Mei Wu, Dr. Tung Wu Lu, and Dr. Jia Hua Lin. First, what do we already know about this topic? There is very little known to date about the effect of virtual reality augmented balance training on postural control in people with Parkinson's disease. In addition, the mechanisms of virtual reality training on walking or standing balance are not clear. What new information does this study offer? Virtual reality augmented balance training with a tiltable board can improve the sensory integration ability in people with Parkinson's disease. The effect is not significantly different from that of conventional balance training. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? Your physical therapist might recommend that you try standing on a balance board with an interactive game or on foam to improve balanceability. Our next bottom line summarizes Effects of a Group-Based Exercise and Educational Program on Physical Performance and Disease Self-Management in Rheumatoid Arthritis, a Randomized Controlled Study by Aneke Breland, Corinne von Scheppenhen, Dr. Martha Leisma, Ninka Verhey Janssen, and Dr. Ellen von Wert. What do we already know about this topic? A growing number of studies show that exercise training has beneficial effects on aerobic capacity and muscle strength in people with rheumatoid arthritis. Other studies report that educational programs have beneficial effects on functional and psychological status and self-management behaviors, such as exercise adherence. People with rheumatoid arthritis have to manage their disease and its consequences every day, which requires their active involvement. However, many patients tend to avoid physical activity due to their fear of increasing disease activity and pain. What new information does this study offer? This study revealed that an eight-week intensive training program combined with self-management education, the FIT program, had significant beneficial effects on aerobic capacity in people with rheumatoid arthritis, and trends were found for improvement of muscle strength, self-reported health status, and self-efficacy. The FIT program had no negative effects on disease activity. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? Patients who attend a physical training program combined with self-management education may improve their aerobic capacity, which may facilitate participation in activities of daily living, 
and in recreational and sports activities. The safety findings indicate that people with rheumatoid arthritis do not have to avoid physical training due to fear of provoking disease exacerbations. Our next bottom line summarizes Effect of Inspiratory Muscle Training Intensities on Pulmonary Function and Work Capacity in People Who Are Healthy, a Randomized Controlled Trial by Dr. Stephanie Enright and Dr. Viswanath Unithan. What do we already know about this topic? Inspiratory muscle training has been shown to improve inspiratory muscle function, lung volumes, and physical work capacity in people with chronic lung disease and in people who are healthy. However, the optimal training intensity to produce these outcomes is unclear. What new information does this study offer? Inspiratory muscle training at low, moderate, or high intensities, 40%, 60%, and 80% of sustained maximal inspiratory effort, respectively, is beneficial in improving inspiratory muscle function, and training at moderate or high intensities improves physical work capacity. Only high-intensity training, 80% of sustained maximal inspiratory effort, also provides gains in lung volume. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? Improvements in tests of inspiratory muscle function alone may not be adequate evidence that inspiratory muscle training is effective. However, if substantial pressures are generated during inspiratory muscle training, significant improvements in your lung volume and physical work capacity may be achieved. Our next bottom line summarizes, lower physical activity is associated with higher intermuscular adipose tissue in people with type 2 diabetes and peripheral neuropathy. By Lori Tuttle, Dr. David Senecor, Dr. W. Todd Cade, and Dr. Michael Miller. What do we already know about this topic? Some research indicates that people with diabetes and peripheral neuropathy are less active and have more potentially harmful intermuscular adipose tissue than their peers. What new information does this study offer? This study reports that a higher average daily step count is associated with lower levels of intramuscular adipose tissue in people with diabetes and peripheral neuropathy, and that some people with diabetes and peripheral neuropathy are able to have high average daily step counts. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? Some people with diabetes and peripheral neuropathy are able to maintain high levels of physical activity, which is associated with lower levels of potentially harmful intramuscular adipose tissue. Our last bottom line summarizes, volitional muscle strength in the legs predicts changes in walking speed following locomotor training in people with chronic spinal cord injury. By Dr. Janie Yang, Dr. Jonathan Norton, Jennifer nevitt Dukesher. Dr. Francois Roy, Dr. Douglas Gross, and Dr. Monica Gorassini. What do we already know about this topic? People with spinal cord injury who have some ability to contract their leg muscles can improve walking function with treadmill training, but it is not clear which muscles are most important for predicting who will be helped by the training. What new information does this study offer? 
This study found that people with incomplete spinal cord injury who have greater preservation of muscle strength after injury will respond better to retraining walking, and that strength in four key muscles the knee extensors, the knee flexors, the ankle plantar flexors, and the hip abductors are most important. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? If you have relatively good muscle strength soon after injury, your walking speed is more likely to improve when you are being retrained for walking. This study, however, had a small number of patients, so the results are still preliminary and will need to be verified by other studies with larger numbers of patients. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net. We always appreciate your feedback. You can email ptj at scienceaudio.net or leave a voicemail at 626-593-7825.